Idaho Catholic Youth Coalition board, families, parents, grandparents, and friends. This recording is from Father Kirby Longo at our second CYC board meeting on October 6, 2018 at St. Cyril's Methodius Parish in East Helena, Montana. Enjoy. All right, so today's the second part of a, a four-part kind of talk on, on basically like what we call theological anthropology. And what is that? It's, it's anthropology is the study of human beings. And theological anthropology would be kind of the study of human beings from the perspective of God. So we study ourselves in light of the revelation that God has given us. Why do we do that? Because we only know ourselves in light of what God has told us about ourselves. He's the one who created us. He's the one who knows us. So therefore, he's the one who we need to look to when we want to know who we are. So that's why we've talked about this. And how many of you are actually here for the first talk? Wow, really? I guess it was the first night, so a lot of people missed it. Lots well, of bummer, but I didn't record it either. But that's, I mean, I don't know if it was worth listening to, but hopefully it was. And what we talked about a little bit, does anyone remember anything about it? That seems to be what everyone actually, certainly the most popular part of the talk, it seems. Everybody remembers. So, yeah, that was the creation story of, uh, of the Babylonians, where the world is a dragon split in half and flopped open, and we are made from that, and we have dragon blood, and that's why we sin. But that was, do you remember why I said that? Okay. Yeah. Is in many ways the trajectory of this whole talk. So theological anthropology is about where we came from. So that's why we talked about creation. Uh, the definitive act, like the, the definitive thing about creation from, from the perspective of a Christian is that it's good, that we are created good. And, and so where do we come from? We came from a God who loves us as opposed to pretty much every other creation story, the history of the world, every other culture, did not actually believe that, that, cre that we were good. We came from a God who loved us and created us because he loves us. And then, where are we going? Heaven. So, we remember those two things, and, and all of these, all four of these talks, in a sense, are like giving content to that. Uh, and so, today, what I wanted to talk about a little bit is... We finished that last talk with the fall. So Father Lebsack got up and told us uh, in a very impressive way about what happened to us when we fell. Does anyone remember the effects of the fall? Exactly. So men work, and the work bears no fruit, and so we end up despairing, sitting on the couch, drinking a beer and watching TV, instead of continuing to work. That's our tendency. We tend towards sloth because... In the world today, it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. And then women, pain in childbirth, it's like the most beautiful moment of your life is also the most painful. It's like that's unfortunate, but still at least the pain comes before the beautiful part. And then your desire will be for man and he'll lord it over you. That's kind of like saying basically women always, so many women t end up with a fixer-upper. You know, you settle. You settle for a guy who isn't worth you. And... That's because 
you know, he's like, I, I, can, I, can, I can make this work. I, can. I saw this in a really beautiful way. I was just doing a uh, scripture service at a, with the MCDC, which is the treatment center in Butte. And the women there have all, you know, they've been through a lot. An incredible amount of suffering in their lives. And a lot of them are very young. And it's, in, it's in, incredible what they've been through when they're like my age. And the story was the creation of woman. And so I told them kind of about original sin and, and how it tends to, and, and like what that means for women. And they were like, I felt like I was in a Baptist church. I was talking, they're like, amen, amen. That's incredible. Like every guy I've ever been with is an idiot. And, and why am I with him? I don't know, because I think I can fix him and I can't. And then he drags me down and here I am. I'm like, exactly. So that's, so that's, um, but at the same time, at the same time, why, why is that an effect of the fall? And it's because, I, I talked about this too, women are the divine gift from God. They are in so many ways there to, to like your, your tendency is also, the reason you end up falling into that is because the tendency is to kind of lift up and care for everyone around you. That's just a, that's a beautiful tendency. That's like, in, in many ways, like, this beautiful sort of vocation of women is like, like you see this tragedy and you're like, I need to care for that person right now. That's what I need to do. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And it just gets twisted in so many ways in the fall. And so uh, like that, when to affirm the beauty of that and then in a sense like instill a prudence and wisdom uh, is the hopes of kind of when we know those effects, then we can know to like, know the limits of what we're capable of in a fallen world. Uh, and so, so we ended with the fall, which is a tough place to finish, but here we go, we'll, we'll keep going a little bit. And today I want to talk about, uh, in a sense, kind of, I don't want to jump over the life of Jesus, because that's a horrible thing to jump over, uh, but we just, in a sense, I don't want to say we don't have time, but you have the rest of your life to study the Gospels. Uh, and that's what I'm going to tell you to do. So, in a sense, we're kind of going to, we're going to give, we're going to talk tonight mostly about the crucifixion, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection. And because in a sense, that's like the second step. We can't really know anything about ourselves except in light of the crucifixion and resurrection. I'll tell you why. So a little background to that though, because we want to move really swiftly through the whole Old Testament, hopefully in like three minutes. And so we, we can talk about the Old Testament almost entirely in light of a covenant. Does anyone know the difference between a covenant and a contract? Do you guys know what a contract is? A contract is like what you sign when you get your first house. So, or even, even when you rent an apartment for the first time. When you go to college, you live in the dorms probably for a year or two, and then maybe you'll move out into an apartment. You have to sign a contract. And a contract means if you back out of this deal that we're making right now, then you owe me a certain amount of money or you're responsible for a certain thing. Uh, there's just basically terms and you have to live up to those terms or there's consequences. Uh, does anyone know what a covenant is and how it's different from that? What's up? Okay, a covenant is a promise. And so, yeah, a promise is a different thing than, than a contract. And, and what's different about it? Okay. 
Yeah, so, but, so people can make covenants between each other too. Do you know like the most obvious one? Marriage. So, so what's the difference between them? Uh, but it's a, that's, that's what's important about the scriptural ones is that it's a promise with God. And that's actually totally changes the whole thing. But what's, so think about marriage versus a, a, a contract for a house. How are those different? So that is, that is the definitive feature in many ways of a covenant. A covenant cannot be broken except by death. You can't break a covenant. A covenant is, basically, it's, it's with persons, not things. So that's the easiest way to think of it. A covenant is between persons, not things. Contracts are generally for a thing. But a covenant is an exchange of persons. And so if you've read the crazy scene of the covenant with Abraham, with like the uh, more carcasses being split in half, just like we talked about last time. So like you split a bunch of carcasses in half and there's like this flaming pot of incense that floats in between them. What is going on? That's the weirdest thing ever. And all I'm going to talk about, we could talk about it for hours, but we don't have time, is that only God goes between the, the split open animals. And, and what's the point of that? It's like, in the covenant, what you're saying is, if I break this covenant, let this be done to me. Like, what has just been done to these animals? Uh, like, literally, be split in half, I guess. And, but only God goes between. We don't. And what, what does that mean? So, with the covenant that, that we make with God, and we make how many of them? Five. Five throughout the whole Old Testament. It's, it's an interesting covenant because a covenant lasts until the day of your death, and only we can die. But if you break the covenant, it involves what? Curses. So, when, when, Moses, when Abraham... Uh, makes the covenant with God, and then later when Moses makes the covenant with Israel, there's this whole, I mean, if you read through Leviticus, it's kind of brutal, like all these curses lined out in the covenant. It's like, if you break this covenant, this is what's going to happen to you guys. And then we immediately break it, because that's what we do as human beings. So we break the covenant, we have all these curses of the covenant put upon us, and it's like, well, this is terrible, because now we're in this forever. Like, this covenant's going to last forever, and we have these curses upon us. Uh, and so... So what do we do then? The Lord gives us sacrifices. Uh, and in the Old Testament, you see sacrifice, the law of the sacrifice that goes throughout the whole Old Testament. Uh, and, and there's certain sacrifices for certain things that we do. And it's, and it's kind of, it's difficult, but it's, uh, the law is, is difficult and it's tedious. And, it, and we don't know exactly how to live it. Or, or at many times in the Old Testament, they don't really know what the purpose of it is. Uh, but they live it because... They know that God is the one God who loves them. And in a sense that that's their call to do that. And then we have the idea of the scapegoat. Do you guys actually know what the scapegoat is? I mean, we use the term all the time. So in, this, in the Old Testament, there's, we actually just had this feast. Well, Jewish people did this last month. Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, they have a scapegoat. And it's this, it's liter- it was literally a goat. They don't do it anymore. But they take a goat, and in a sense, the priest lays his hands on the goat and puts all the sins of all the people on this goat. So the goat has to take all the sins of all the people on it, and it's usually pretty relaxed about it because it doesn't know what's going on. But then they push it off into the wilderness. And, and it's part of the, it's not in the scriptures, but in the commentaries that the old, uh, in what's called the Mishnah, they talk about how they would tie this red uh, kind of, not a necklace, but like a scarf around the goat, 
And then, and then they wouldn't just let it walk off in the wilderness because it could come back, and that would be terrible if all the sins came back. So they would walk it out into the wilderness, and then they'd throw it off a cliff. And because those sins, those sins have to go to their death. Those sins have to go to their death. So they'd throw it off a cliff with a red sash on, and then they'd go to the bottom of the cliff and look. And every year, the sash would turn white. So in a sense, it's like the Lord has, in his, has purified them of their sins. So that one day a year, I mean, it's just a miracle, basically. So like, <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. But they recorded it. They were like, because they were waiting. They're like, this will happen until the Messiah comes. When this no longer turns white, we know the Messiah has come. Because this is all going to change when the Messiah comes. Uh, and actually, 40 AD was the last year that that sash turned white. And that was the last year they ever took a scapegoat out in the wilderness. Um, so, right after Christ's resurrection. So that's pretty cool to think about. That's recorded in... Uh, you mean if we started doing it again? No, and I'll talk about why we should not do that again. Uh, goats are really cute animals. And they goat cheese is delicious. So, uh, we, should, we shouldn't do that. And I'll talk about why. That's, there's, an, there's something important about that. Like the scapegoat... The scapegoat is a beautiful tradition. I mean, on Yom Kippur, uh, now they just, I don't know exactly know why, but they swing chickens over their heads. <laughs> I think they're live chickens. I, don't, I think. But I don't really know where that tradition comes from. That's a later tradition, obviously. So, so we're in this predicament. You know, it's, it's so weird. Like, so where they find themselves in, later in the Old Testament, it's like, we have this law that we can't live. We're incapable of it. It's impossible. It's, it's, this, it's a beautiful law. And the Jewish people, if you talk to them today, even an Orthodox Jewish person who really lives the law, they love it, they're incapable of living it, but they love it. Because, in a sense, it brings order to your whole life. I mean, we think about that as Christians. How many of us, I mean, we don't live up to it, but we still love it. It still brings joy. Uh, and they have this law that they can't live, but they know what brings joy is the fact that God has called them to live it anyways. You know, they have this divine call from God. Something that, when, you, when we talk about the old myths, it's like, you can't even imagine something like that. God's not calling you to do anything. I mean, God creates you as a, as a slave in the, if you're in some other old culture. It's like the idea of God giving us a mission is totally foreign. So the Jewish people loved the fact that they had a divine call from God. Um, but, they, but they had a law that they couldn't live. And in a sense, it, was like this, it felt like this burden that was never going to be lifted. And then, on top of that... They had the, the curses of a covenant hanging over them. Like they'd broken the covenant with God and they knew it. And there was the curse of the covenant. And, they, and it's like, how the heck is this ever going to go away? Because it, we have to die in order for it to go away. So there's these kind of two things that are kind of this tension in ancient Israel. And, 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 but at the same time, they know that someday a savior is going to come and he's going to sort this all out. He's going to fix it. And, and so... This needs to happen. Like, the, the, the Messiah is going to be the one who somehow kind of figures this mess out. And then we come to the, the prophet Daniel. And you've got to read the book of the prophet Daniel. It's a fascinating book. The stories are great. But also, it's, it's such an important book for us as Christians uh, in a crazy way because Daniel actually just like gives in about 450 BC, he says in this weird kind of prophetic way, like the Messiah is going to come in about 450 years, is basically what he says. And so everybody's like, well, that's crazy. Like, 
I guess we need to wait 450 years. And so that's why around the time of Christ, there were so many false messiahs. Like, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, you have Gamaliel, who says, uh, you know, they bring the, the apostles in who have been preaching, and they're going to beat them and tell them not to preach. And then Gamaliel's like, all right, guys, we need to relax for a second because we had this Thaddeus guy. And he came and said he was the Messiah. And a bunch of followers came and followed him. And then he was killed. And then the followers dispersed and went away. And then we had this guy, what was the second guy? Judas the Galilean. He comes along, he brings a group of people together, says he's the Messiah, he's killed, and then they disperse. And then we have this Jesus guy who comes along and gets a band of followers together, and he's killed. And they, they don't seem to be dispersing, but it's still pretty early, guys. And if you fight against this, and, and it and it's, turns out that he's actually the Messiah, you're fighting against God. That's what he tells him. He's like, but if you don't fight against it, and it's not of God, it's just going to disappear. So don't worry about it. So like, we need to relax on this. And so they listen to him. And they just give them, they just whip them a few times and send them on their way. But the, but, the, but the apostles don't disperse. That's kind of the point of this, this whole thing. So, like, Jesus comes right around the time when Daniel says he's going to come and, and, like, preaches the kingdom of God and does all these things that Daniel says he's going to do. And then he's killed and his, his disciples don't disperse. So, obviously, something's going on here. So I want to talk a little bit about the life of Christ because uh, I just can't skip over that. So, uh, what did Jesus do? And I'll, I'll try to sum it up in like a couple, really quick. What did Jesus do in his life? He preached, I guess you, you could say three things. And, and it's kind of in the line like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus came literally to show us the way. Like, he actually, his... his what he did in his life was give us a way to live. And a way to live that wasn't subject to the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses did not save. Uh, it, it had no grace in it. Uh, it. It gave us, in a sense, kind of a standard and a call from God. But there was no grace in the midst of that. It was just a law that, 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 that set us apart from others. But like, what did it do, you know? And so he gave us a new way, the law of love. And then the truth. So the truth is going to be the focus, I guess I could say, of like our whole fourth talk in the, in the last meeting. And that's, in a sense, the truth that we have in the church, the teachings of the church on how to live. That kind of standard of perfection uh, that's really difficult today. Not only difficult to live, but difficult to even talk about. Uh, because just no one wants to hear it. And, and I'd say even some of us are like really kind of uneasy about it. Um, but there's a reason that Christ gave it to us. Uh, and there's a joy in it that nothing else brings. So the truth. And then life. So the life is what we're going to focus on, I guess, for the rest of this. And, the, and, and life in the sense of like the crucifixion. And that's a weird thing to say. But... Why did Jesus die on the cross? Does anyone actually know? I mean, if, if a non-Christian asks you that, you better have an answer. Why did Jesus die on the cross? What's up? To save us. To save us. Okay, but why was it necessary for him to die 
to save us. He's God. Can't he save us other ways? Okay, so that we could go to heaven. So somehow his death on the cross provided the means for us to go to heaven. But like, there's still like a gap there that like, if I'm a non-Christian, I mean, we grow up in the Christian world, so it's kind of easy for us. What's up? Okay, so some, something about his sinlessness, it, it's like, in a sense, it's like the human scapegoat, you could say. Like, that goat has no idea what's going on. Like, but, but like, that, that goat hasn't sinned, is what I mean. So you could say he's a human scapegoat. Okay, Lucas. Yeah, okay, you're pushing into a great mystery there, and, and there's a lot of tension in that. So, so there's this incredible icon of the Holy Saturday. I don't know if you guys have ever seen icons of Holy Saturday. In the Western Church, because of the Easter Vigil on Saturday, we tend to forget about Holy Saturday itself. It's like we go Good Friday to the Easter Vigil, and in the meantime, we're just kind of like awkwardly walking around. Do I still fast? Do I, like, what do I do on this day? It's kind of a weird in-between um, meanwhile, Jesus is in the underworld kicking down the doors of Sheol. Like, so there's this awesome icon of like, it, when Jesus is in the tomb, he's going down into the underworld, uh, into Sheol. And there's this, there's, it's like this crazy icon of like, he's like, there's, he's kicking and the doors of Sheol are off the hinges and Adam and Eve are sitting there like, what is going on? And, and there's like all these people there and you're like, Whoa, it's like the people from Sodom and Gomorrah, like the people from the flood, like what's going on? This is really crazy. And there's like Abraham and little Lazarus sitting in his bosom. And I mean, they're awesome, uh, awesome icon because like, so like, what does that, what does his death mean? Like, why, why did he have to die? Uh, and, and, it's, and it's all wrapped up with like, why did Jesus become a man? You know, I like, could... Is God capable of saving humanity without becoming a man? I mean, in some mysterious way, we have to say yes. But like, is that the God we have? No, that's not the God we have. We have a different sort of God. Uh, the, the church fathers, Cyril of Jerusalem and Gregory Nazianzus, I don't know who we give credit to for this, but they say, uh, that which he had not, has not assumed, he has not redeemed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. So, Jesus assumed our full humanity. He became a man. Took on a human nature. Had a human mind, a human will, human intellect. And, and because of that, all of that is taken up into God. Every part of it. Everything that we do. Every mediocre thing that we do. Is taken up into God. You know, it's the normal daily life. Of, of us as human beings is taken up into God because Christ assumed all of it uh, to the very end. And we say, one of the kind of things we always say is like one drop of blood from Jesus Christ, one drop of divine blood saves all of humanity. It was unnecessary for him to go to the very end to die for us. He did that because he wanted us to see the lengths to which he would go to know that he loves us. You know, Bernard of Clairvaux is this awesome paradoxical saying. He says, God cannot suffer, but he can suffer with us. And so we think of like a parent who has this little three-year-old who's like, you know, something happens to them that's really not a terrible thing at all, but they're crying and they're really sad about it. It's like, is the parent suffering because of that thing that just happened? No. But are they suffering with their kid who's suffering because of that thing that just happened? Absolutely. Because they're the parents of... A small child who's suffering. Of course, they're, of course they're suffering with them. 
Do we think of it like, God can suffer because he can suffer with us, even though he's eternal and immutable and all those maximums or whatever we, I don't know, I forget the word. So, uh, all the superlatives, that's what I was looking at. But also, we think about the covenant. So, that covenant curse will never leave until we die, because God can't die. But then, in this crazy twist, God died. So the covenant curses are now gone. Every, every curse of the covenant is now lifted from us, because in this, in this wild twist, God actually came and died, uh, and, and kind of lifted the covenant curses, because he's the, he's the other party in the covenant. And so now that he dies, those covenant curses are lifted. That's one of the like, wild things about the death and resurrection of Christ that, like, in a sense, we have to enter into the Jewish worldview to see just how profound that is. Uh, and I think uh, as, we, as, as you grow in the knowledge of the Old Testament, you'll see just how incredible it is uh, that God took upon himself, uh, in a sense, like all the history of Israel's suffering uh, through their breaking of the covenant. He took that broken covenant upon himself and put it to death. And then finally, I guess what I want to say is that it's, a, it's another Eastern term that I think we fail to talk about a lot because we're weirded out by it in the West for some reason. And the, and the, the word is divinization. You guys know what that is? I think we think of like Thor, I guess. I don't know. Like, like a, are we going to become demigods in heaven? No. But... But because Christ took human nature upon himself and is in heaven with it, he didn't, he didn't rid himself of his body when he went to heaven. He still has it. Only him and Mary have bodies in heaven right now. Someday we will all have them too. But he actually still has a human body, a redeemed and perfected human body in heaven. And, and that means God, for all of eternity, has a human body like, and a human nature. And I, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to think about that. Uh, when I try to imagine what I think heaven's going to be like. But that means that for all of eternity, we have a part in that. Like, think about trying to relate to God as a pure spirit. That's difficult. I mean, it's almost impossible for us because we've taken everything through our senses. But then, think about relating to a person with a body. It's a whole other level of relationship that that's, suddenly becomes real and tangible to us. Uh, and that's how heaven will be. So we have a whole new way of looking at God. And it's infinitely greater than Eden. So like, we think about before the fall and how wonderful it was. Heaven's infinitely greater than that. Our relationship with God is infinitely closer because of that. And, and so like, it's actually through our sin that this is all accomplished. And like, how the heck did that work? It's, it, like God took something terrible and made something way better out of it. Uh, and that's just how he works. That's how his plan works, uh, and it's a beautiful plan. So through all of this comes the grace of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to, I sense, I'm like done, and we're moving forward into the next talk. Uh, I'm done with this talk. We're not going to do that other talk tonight, I promise. So this is the third talk. It's going to be on grace and the grace that comes from the, that incredible death and resurrection scene that I guess we've kind of begun to scratch the surface of contemplating. And... Through that all, uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit actually gives us the capacity to live this new perfect law that God has given us. Uh, and, and it is perfect, and we are called to live it perfectly. 
And that's a, an incredible mystery, but I think what gives us so much hope is the great saints that we've seen do that. Like, people have actually done it, and we've witnessed it in the church. Uh, and so we have a great hope in that, and we're going to continue to talk about that in December. And then hopefully ski some powder after that, if there is any powder in December. Pray for that. Amen. Father Kirby Longo addressed the Catholic Youth Coalition Board at our second meeting on October 6, 2018. We look forward to seeing all of you again in Missoula on November 30th and December 1st. Until then, may God bless and keep you.